0: Psalm chapter 6. To see you in the house, of the Lord, this evening. Psalms chapter 6. Verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul also is sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege you have to open your precious word. I pray as we look into this psalm and consider uh, its application to our lives, I pray that we'd be open and receptive, and may you be glorified, and may we be helped. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The circumstances of this psalm are uncertain. I've read several commentators, and nobody seems to know or can pinpoint, it seems, what this psalm was about. But it's obvious that David was in serious trouble. He is under the chasing hand of the Almighty, verse 1. He seems to be in fear of his life, verse 5. Now, the thought that came to my mind, and I'm not a theologian by any means, but the thought that came to my mind as I think about David's experiences throughout his life was his experience at Ziklag. Um. Go to Matthew, or not Matthew, First Samuel twenty seven. First Samuel twenty seven. First Samuel twenty seven. Verse one says. This gets you an idea of what's, what's happening here. It says, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. Now, this comes right on the heels of a time when uh, David... Uh, spares Saul the second time remember they're in the wood and, and in the cave and, and I'm not sure if this is a case where uh, Saul went in the cave but anyway uh, no it was where it was the circumstance where, where Saul and his men were sleeping out in the field and David and Abishai and I think one other man went down to where they were sleeping and they took Saul's spear and a cruise of water and, and, and fled and then they went up on the hill and they cried to, to Saul and, uh, of course, Saul acknowledges his wrong and returns home. Now, he did that once before. And then he would hunt David again. So th- this, is, this is what just happened. And then David says in his heart, I shall now perish one day. You know, God saved him twice in close situations out of the hand of Saul. And, and yet he says, now I'm going to perish. Nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And verse 2 And David arose, and he passed over with the six hundred men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Hinnom the Jedraelitess, and Abigail the Carmelites, Nabal's wife. It was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day, wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezrites and the Amalekites. For those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even unto the land of Egypt. And David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive took away the sheep and the oxen, the asses and the camels and the, the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, Whither have you made a road today? And David said, get this, against the south of Judah, and against the south of Jeremelites, and against the south of the Kenites." And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring Titus to Gath, saying, Lest they should tell on us, saying, So did David, and so will be his manner all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. And Achish believed David, saying, He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him, therefore he shall be my servant forever. So understand, David you know, David here is goes into the land of the Philistines, who are the enemies of Israel, of his own people, and joins with them, and then he begins to make raids on the Geshurites, and the Gezerites and the Amalekites. Now, that really isn't such a big deal because those peoples were marked for destruction when the children of Israel came into the land of Israel to start with. God, they were part of the peoples that God said you're utterly destroy. So that was not such a big deal. However, he lied about it. He lied about it. Matthew Henry in his commentary said this, quote, While David was in the land of Philistines, he attacked some remains of the devoted nations. Of course, the nations of old. The people whom he cut off were long before doomed to destruction. It is often wisdom to shun uh, to public notice, but we must in no situation be idle. We must always try to do somewhat in the cause of God. This expedition David hid from Achish. But an equivocation which serves the purpose of a lie is like to it as a hypocrite to a profane person. Is only better in appearance, therefore more dangerous. Yet, though believers often manifest imperfections, they can never be prepared prevailed upon to renounce the service of God and unite interests with his enemies, or finally to become the servants of sin and Satan. But what a train of evil follows from unbelief. When we forget the Lord's past mercies and his gracious assurances, we shall be overwhelmed with desponding fears and probably led to adopt some dishonorable method to get rid of our troubles. Nothing can so effectually establish us in holy tempers and practices and preserve us from perplexities as firm, unshaken dependence upon the promises of God in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying here is, you know, David should not have gone to the enemy and joined with the enemy. He should have continued to trust God. God had already preserved him twice in close circumstances out of the hand of Saul. Would he not continue to do it? And David gets himself in a real hot spot because of this. In chapter twenty-nine of First Samuel, we notice then that Achish all of a sudden decides he's going to fight against Israel, and he asks David to go with him. Now's what he now's what he got. What's he, what's he going to do? And so <clears throat> David goes along with seemingly the plan, but the princes of Achish, the king, say, "Uh-uh, he's not going with us." We won't have. He'll, he'll 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 turn back to his master in the midst of the battle. Yeah, you know, I don't know what David had in mind, but he was in a quandary. He was in a bad uh, situation, and David got had gotten himself in this quandary with his double life. Of course, God intervenes. I believe, however, he reaps the fruit of his deceitful life in returning to Ziklag in chapter thirty. You notice, it says, of course, they had, they, they, after they were sent back from going to battle against the nation of Israel, the Philistines' princes said, no, he's not going with us, and they wouldn't allow him to go. So they sent him back, and so it, it came to pass, when it, he and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, so they're coming back where they live, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, ahinom the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So, so he returns to Ziklag, and he, everything's been taken captive. all their, their wives, their children, and all that they possessed and the city's burned to the ground. And he's in a bad situation. He's in a distressing situation. So as we think about that, you know, and, and we don't know for sure if that's the context of this psalm, but it's obviously obvious in this psalm that David is in a in serious trouble of some sorts. But I want you, as we think about that, one notice first of all, he acknowledges his just chastening. Notice verse one of Psalm six: O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Now, he said he addresses the Lord, Jehovah. Lord, We're Lords in all caps. Uh, I think the whole chapter is that way. But so he he addresses Jehovah, and he and he doesn't say that you know, not to chasten him. He says, Don't chasten me or rebuke me in thine anger or in thy hot displeasure. So he's, he acknowledges that he God is just in chastening him. Uh you know, God, you are just in your dealings with me. I deserve this. I brought this on myself. You know, we might say he be, had been plundering the enemy who were to have been destroyed by, uh, when they came in the land, but how are he was lying about it? He was living a double life. His actions at the time were based on expedience at the time, not on what was right. Again, chapter 27, verse 1, he said, you know, one of these days, Saul's going to kill me. Nothing I can do but escape in the land of the Philistines. So he based what he did on how he saw it. His own ideas. And David, by doing this, had brought God's anger against him By not obeying or believing in the Lord. Again, God had delivered David several times out of Saul's hand, but all of a sudden David thinks he has to do it. That's really what you're seeing here. He has to do it. He has to provide his own protection, provide for his own safety by joining hands with the enemy of Israel. Is that not a good description of our sin? It is to say, God, I'm not sure you can be trusted. Tell that to your spouse sometime. I'm just not sure you can be trusted. Or your dad or mom. Or your best friend. See how they react or respond. I'm just not sure you can be trusted. The word anger here in this passage me, means to, uh, seething anger or breathing out or fuming out. You know, you could say, you, know, you ever, you ever um, make a statement, he was so mad there was fire coming out of his nostrils. That's kind of the idea. God was angry with David. He was angry. Hot displeasure, furiously. That's the description there. Leviticus 26, 27, 28 says, And if you will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary to me, that's what David was doing, then I will walk contrary to you also in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. Of course, seven is a number of completeness. There will be a complete chastisement. I mean, he's going to finish the job. You know, one of the things we talk about when we child correction, you need to finish it. Make sure they surrender their will. If if they're still angry when you're done, you haven't finished it. You haven't done it right. The chastising is not complete. And so we see here that David acknowledges his just chastening. He deserved it. He brought it upon himself. You know this is the this is the first step to. Forgiveness, to cleansing, and to restoration. And Psalm 32 5 says, he I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. So he acknowledges his just chastening. You know, when God's chasten, chasten, God chastens us for a reason, there's always a cause. He's not unjust or unfair. We deserve it. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth, Hebrews 12 tells us. So we see he acknowledges his just chastening. Secondly, we see his precarious predicament. Predicament, Verses 2 and 3 says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul also sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? Weak. I am weak. The picture of the word weak there is to to languish. Picture, if you will, a wilting plant that's hanging over for lack of rain. He's wilting. Physically. I am weak, he said. And the word vexed is used two times. One time it talks about his bones being vexed. The other is talking about his soul being vexed. And it has the idea of tremble or terrified or struck with fear. You know, this is why I think it's probably the Ziklag experience. Job 21 6, Job said, Even when I remember, I am afraid, and trembling taketh hold of my flesh. And Job 23.15, he says, Therefore I am troubled at his presence when I consider I am afraid of him. See, David is in this situation, if it is Ziklag. David's in a situation, you know, that, that you know, Or well, let me say it this, way. would there be a more terrifying situation than your own men thinking of stoning you? I'm not talking about your enemies here. I'm talking about your friends who have fought for you, have fled for you, have risked their lives for you, and they're thinking of stoning you. And they're all very much distressed. And when people are in great distress, they'll do a lot of things that you normally won't do. He's in a precarious situation. No wonder he said, he said I am vexed. I'm trembling. You know, it's a, it's a cry of desperation. There is no one else to turn to. He's like he's backed into a corner and nowhere to go but to the Lord. One commentator said, These trials of body and soul were amplified by David's sense of God's anger against him. When we are not confident in God's love and assistance, even small trials feel unbearable. You know, we will not be confident if we don't obey him. You know, in, in your marriage, if you are confident of your spouse's love and affection, it gives you confidence and hope even in times of disagreement or what they call domestic disputes. And we all have them. We just don't have to call the police on ours, right? That's the call policemen don't want to get is a domestic dispute. No, but if you're confident of their love, it gives you hope and assurance. But David doesn't have that because he's being chastened for his disobedience. Third thing I see here is, he seeks with contrition the return of the Lord's direction. In verse four, he says, "Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for Thy mercy's sake." So, notice three things here. He he seeks deliverance from the Lord. Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. The word "return," you know, it makes it, the passage sort of makes it sound like the, the Lord's going to return, and yes. It's, but the idea here is David's turning back to the Lord, and so the Lord will again return his favor to him. And the word return, the metaphor, the picture here is, is to be converted as a sinner. You know, to, be, to convert means to turn around. That's the idea, turn around. To be returned to or restored to. And so he seeks, he's, he's turning back to the Lord in his way. It means he's turning away from his own way. <clears throat> you, know, you can't serve God in mammon. You can't serve your own way and God's way too. Unless your way is in agreement with the Lord's. And So he just seeks deliverance. He, he turns to the right source for help. Uh, he, he ceases to, to walk in his own path and go his own way. You know, Psalm 126, verses 1 through 4 says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them in the dream. Then was her mouth filled with laughter, and her tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great for the things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as streams in the south. So the Lord is able to turn turn our our, our uh, us from our captivity. He is able to deliver us. So he seeks the deliverance from the Lord. Second thing, he, he desires again to praise the Lord. Notice verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave, who shall give thee thanks? You know, David was obviously in fear for his life. And he says, Lord, I, I can't praise you if I'm dead. I can't celebrate. And the word really means celebration here. Celebration or praise. Can't can't celebrate you and your holiness if I'm dead, if I'm in the grave. And so he's he's desiring, his desire is to praise the Lord, to give glory to God. Psalm ninety seven twelve says, Rejoice in the Lord you right ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. That word remembrance is the same word that um, uh, as verse 5, and it talks about celebration of praise. Uh, Psalm 111, verse 4, He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Uh, Hebrews 13:15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So he desires again to praise the Lord. So you know, he was, he's pleading with the Lord, Let me glorify your name again. Let me return and glorify your name. You know, that's what God desires of us is for us to glorify him. But we don't glorify him when we go our own way. We glorify him when we obey the Lord. Even if it means going into into situations which seem to be difficult, which he did. Remember, two times he escaped out of the hand of Saul. He was backed into a corner, but he saw the glory of God manifest his life because God undertook. When you go to the enemy... ruin that God's not glorified what David is saying Lord let me glorify your name again let me praise your name again and celebrate in your goodness and your holiness and your power and the demonstration of your might but don't you notice the third thing here he's weary of his own ways notice verse 6 I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. The word weary means fatigued, but it carries with it the idea of wearied of a thing. It means wearied of a thing. Uh, And the word water, where it says I water my couch with my tears, means to melt or to be decayed or to putrefry. Putrefy. You know, like stagnant and disgusting. And I think what the what is psalmist David is saying here is, you know, I'm sick of my own wicked ways and my own devices. It has brought me nothing but trouble. And I'm ready, Lord, to turn from them. I'm ready to turn from them. You know, we call that repentance. I'm sick of my wicked, sinful ways. Sort of like Saul when the Lord said to him, It is hard for thee to kick against the bricks. You know, he was a miserable man. As much zeal as he had, yet he was a miserable man. It's hard to kick against the bricks. The way of the transgressor is hard, Proverbs tells us. And so David, he was, he was seeking the return of the Lord's direction, and he was weary of his own ways. And, and when, we're, when we come to this place, God will intervene. That we're at the place then that God will remain. He will deliver us. Psalm 50 verses 14 and 15 says, Offer unto God thanksgiving, pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. David had not had not been paying his vows. He had not been following his Lord. And he got himself into trouble. Psalm 91 verses 14 and 15 says. Because he has set his love upon me. Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high. Because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me. And I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. And honor him. You know, God doesn't say that if we, if we set our love upon Him, we will, we'll be without problems. Notice, He says, because He has set His love upon me, if we set our love upon the Lord, God will deliver us in, or be with us in trouble. In trouble. doesn't mean we're not going to have troubles or trials. But He'll be with us and will deliver us. And glorify himself. So we see he seeks a contrition. With with contrition to return to the Lord's direction. Then the most fourth thing. He rejoices in the salvation of God. Verses 8 through 10. Depart from me. All you workers of iniquity. For the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed Suddenly, the Lord hath heard, he, mentions, he says that twice, the Lord hath heard, that's past. The Lord hath heard my prayers, my supplication, and he will receive, that's future. You know, our past victories encourage us or give us confidence that the Lord will give us victory and answer our prayers in the future. Lord will receive my supplication. And so he rejoices in the salvation of God. Uh, Jonah 2, 7 through 9. Of course, Jonah had run from the Lord, and he was chastened by the Lord. In verse 7 through 9 of chapter 2, Jonah said, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came, came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying and vanities forsake their own mercy. You know, Jonah's speaking of himself. He observed a lying vanity. He thought he could run away from God. You know, you may run, but you can't hide. God knows where you are. God knows where you are. And so they observed lying vanities, forsake their own mercy. He ended up in, the well, in Well University for a few days. Verse 9 says, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. God had called him to be a prophet to the Assyrians, to the Ninevites. Oh, yeah, they were the enemies of Israel. But they needed the gospel too. And he was a chosen vessel to take it. But he thought he could run away because of his prejudice against the Ninevites. No, salvation or deliverance is of the Lord. We don't understand that that our deliverance and our protection and our safety is of the Lord. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You know, you want confidence, assurance, victory over the enemies of your soul? You know, this world is an enemy to our souls. Satan is an enemy of our souls. If you want victory over your soul, that deliverance or that salvation is, is in God, not in your own way of expedience like David. Who thought, you know, one of these days Saul's just going to get me. That's all there is to it. Guess I'll just go down to the listings. You know, some people come to our church like this and they think, man, there's not enough stuff here for our kids. Got to go to a bigger church with there's more programs. You young ladies may be looking around. You young men may be looking around and said, who am I going to marry? Those are real questions. But we're trusting the Lord. And like one wise pastor said to a young lady one time, why are you worrying about it? You're not ready to get married yet anyway. It's not time for you to get married yet. So why are you worried about it? Worry about it when the time comes. You see, we're not to go to our own way of expedience. We're to simply obey the Lord and trust Him, even if we don't understand how He can work out all the details of our life. You know, that's part of living by faith, one day at a time. You know, Jesus said, be content with. With the things of the day. Um, sufficient to the day. Is the evil thereof. I'm not saying we don't. You know, make plans and all that. But we have to let God take care of all that. And trust him. And not turn. To our own understanding. Or seek to. Uh, force. And, and try to figure out. Uh, God's plan. On our own, but simply follow Him and obey His word and trust Him to work out all the details. Seek ye first, King God, His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God will supply your need when it becomes a need. So, might God help us to simply walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time you were tonight. Thank you for how it speaks to our hearts and account, encourages us and challenges us. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us just to be faithful to your word, uh, help us to be obedient to it, though many times we don't understand uh, how you will work things out, but we know that you can work things out for your glory and for your honor. And then we can step back and say, the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad, and rejoice in those, that truth. We thank you in Jesus' name.